When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome to episode 157 of We Are Going Up. So long, farewell, Avida saying goodbye. It's the last one of the season, David Cameron Walker. Sad times. Is it sad? It is sad. Well, or time to you know look to a f- the future, have a summer batteries. Of re- recharging, and back again for next season. It'll be here before we know it. Nice, quiet bank holiday weekend. Not really, no. <laughs> I was going to say, do you no. have a drink or two? Yeah, but I've been working very hard as well, Mark. Excellent. So don't Excellent. try and besmirch my character <laughs> without revealing the full story. Can I say a big thank you, firstly, to everyone who got in touch about the miracle of Istanbul, which uh, we produced. It was on Talksport on Bank Holiday Monday night at eight o'clock. It is available to listen again to on the Listen Again bit on the website if you want to hear it. Hmm. The story of uh, Liverpool's famous Champions League win hosted by Paul Barber, i.e. Denzel, from Only Fools and Horses. So get great yourself man. along to that great man. Lovely, lovely fella. Uh, so get yourself along to the TalkSport website. Uh, and uh, if you want to hear those, um, well, the special and the interviews we did with the likes of Jamie Carragher and so on. Uh, anyway, let's crack on. They say a week is a long time in football, DC. We've had Hull City getting relegated to the Championship. Three playoff finals decided. Nigel Clough sacked. Steve McLaren sacked. Uwe Rosler in. Neil Redfern sacked. And Teddy, Teddy Sheringham in at Stevenage. It's all been going on. I know. Amazing, really. Uh, silly season is well and truly upon us. Managerial merry-go-round and all that is, is going. And um, we've, we've done a lot on sort of uh, managerial changes this season, so we're not going to talk in depth about any of those today. So just like pick one of those out. What, what surprises you maybe the, the most out of that? Sheringham coming in at Stevenage, or well, I mean that that's very interesting because I mean you couldn't find anyone more different from Graham Westley than <laughs> Teddy Sheringham, could you? I mean they're absolute worlds apart, and it'd be very interesting to see. What kind of manager he is? We're led to believe that he's made quite a good impact at West Ham with his work as a coach. Because you know, for years he wasn't really involved in the game, was he? When he initially retired, I think he was just sort of playing a lot of golf, and yeah. going on a lot of holidays. I was, um, I was thinking actually, the Euro '96 England team, a real mixed record in terms of how good they were as managers. Hmm. If you think of David Platt, Stuart Pearce, Paul Ince, not so good. Alan Shearer even. Not so good. Um, Tony Adams, actually, no, they're all terrible, aren't they? Come yeah. to think of it. Is there anyone who's actually been a good manager out of that England team? I don't think there is. No. Is there a single decent manager to emerge from the Euro 96 squad? Let Gaza. us know. Gaza was no, no. good at Kettering. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, anyway, we, listen, we wish the best of luck to uh, Teddy Sheringham. So we should explain, this is the last show of the season, the final one. Uh, we're going to do the Young Players Special that we've talked about quite a lot in recent months over the summer we think in some form rather than just yeah. having us sat in the studio we might try and get out and about and do some interviews mm-hmm. and speak to some actual players at academies or whatever we're going to do it slightly differently to how we were originally planning it so if you did email in and all that thank you we have got your uh, comments from this season we're just going to do it over the summer yeah you're, you're smiling at me through there <laughs> well it's something to look forward to absolutely the summer. 
uh, we keep ba- you going. We basically decided this week it's just more sensible to do one big final show and then do that at some point in the next few weeks. And it's a treat. You've got that to look forward to, if that's the right phrase, at some point over the summer. Um, so on to the last show of the season then. Uh, we have, uh, well, the important business first. We'll have the result of the fantasy football. A lot of people want to know how they've got on this season. So we'll do that later. Also, the much-anticipated playback of our pre-season predictions is going to be later on. I'm dreading um, it. I'm dreading it already. <laughs> put your feet up, get a few beers and enjoy. I must say, we did get a tweet from Chris Crofer, who backed some of our preseason predictions and netted himself 210 quid. Really? I don't know if you saw that on the oh, Twitter at the weekend. Sent us a screenshot of... Uh, I didn't He put that. a fiver on Berry Preston and Norwich to go up oh, on himself 210 quid. Um, I wish I'd have done the same. Uh, later how, in the how show... How much of a percentage are we owed then? Uh, well, yeah. Good point. Good point. Commission. Um, later in the show, we're going to be joined by... Uh, the current slash former, depending on when you're listening to this, Brentford manager, Mark Warburton, who we had on the show um, when we did our big Say No to League 3 special a year or so back. Uh, but this time, actually, in the studio, Mark is going to be joining mm. us. Bit of a coup. Uh, we'll be speaking to him. A very interesting 12 months, to say the least, with Brentford. Uh, obviously promoted last season. They finished fifth uh, in the championship this season, lost in the playoff semi-final. But he still hasn't got a job after all that. He's leaving the club in the summer, so we'll speak to Mark later. And also, you've been speaking to the author of a brand new book called The Agony and Ecstasy, A Comprehensive History of the Playoffs. Mr. Richard Foster, if I could say it. I have. A, a fascinating book, really, because we all know you know, recently about how, how much drama the playoffs supply us each, each year. But obviously they stretch back actually a lot further than I initially even thought. The, the sort of stories around the creation of the playoffs are very interesting, as well as some of the you know, amazing moments that we can all recall. And you've also spoke to Paul Robinson. I have Paul Birmingham Robinson City, of Birmingham defender. City, Bolton, still West there? Brom, and Watford. Yes, yeah, still skipper at Birmingham. Yeah, uh, so still we'll hear strong at thirty-six. We will hear his thoughts on the season that's just gone by mm. under Gary Rowett. Later, that's all coming up. So a packed final show, bit of a bumper final show of the season, and of course we will be talking about the playoff matches themselves. Uh, heartbreak for Wickham, Swindon, and Middlesbrough, but delight for Southend, Preston and Norwich City. The Canaries are back in the Premier League at the first time of asking after a superb 2-0 win against Middlesbrough at Wembley on Monday. It caps a remarkable few months since the arrival of Alex Neal as their manager uh, a year ago with Hamilton, got them promoted to the Scottish top division and now he's done the same with Norwich City. We did a special back at the start of January when Neil Adams left and we, uh, we didn't, his name didn't even crop up. We did a whole podcast on it. Uh, you can listen back to and revisit. And on that podcast was Michael Bailey, who is a sports journalist at the Eastern Daily Press and the Norwich Evening News. And alongside us, Michael went through all the various candidates who could come in and attempt to transform Norwich's season. Uh, but the name, as I say, didn't even cross our lips once. So it's only right we have Michael back on now to reflect on an amazing few months for Norwich. Uh, they're back in the Premier League and Michael joins us on the phone right now. Uh, Michael, firstly, thanks for coming on. Uh, great to talk to you. What a phenomenal few months for the club and uh, what an amazing atmosphere from the fans and what an amazing performance by the players at Wembley on Monday. Yes, it was, um, it was a wonderful occasion. It was something very special and I think um, I think most people at the start of the season they they would tell you it's it's the best way to go up if you could somehow guarantee doing it at Wembley through the playoffs and that's the first time I've sampled it. I I was at Cardiff in 2002 when Norwich lost out in a penalty shootout and that was pretty that was a pretty desperate occasion. But yeah, it was just a, a wonderful way to do it. But also the fact that Norwich just dismantled Middlesbrough in a way that I, I don't think any Norwich fan would have dreamed that they would actually go about and, and do. It was it was special. The, the second goal will probably go down as one of the greats that the club has ever scored, just with the, the passing move and the, and the way it was finished. It was uh, 
it was a wonderful occasion and it it doesn't half give you a lot of momentum I think going into the summer even though you're you're playing catch up to the two who have gone up automatically I think the feeling that you can get from that and I suppose as well you're talking about a club that knows what it it's about when they're in the Premier League. You, you know, they, they've spent three, three of the last four seasons. They've they've been at that level. So, to have that momentum and that experience and the ability to build on it, it, it it's hard not to feel optimistic about um, about what's going to happen next. And that's without even managing, uh, you know, mentioning the, the manager's name. I wouldn't worry too much about playing catch up to teams that have already gone up. <laughs> um, where where <laughs> well, Watford yeah. are concerned, but um, just yeah, yeah, just looking ahead to next season, and Alex Neil's already said that he's going to stick with the core group of this squad and give mo- most of the players the chance to impress in the Premier League. And I think you know on that, which which may be fair enough, and he feels like he those players deserve their chance. But a lot of those players have been in the Premier League before. A lot of those players were part of the team that were relegated from the Premier League before. And even someone that's come in, like Cameron Jerome, has hardly set the world alight in the Premier League, despite his experience there. So you've got to be careful about perhaps maybe not giving them too much of a chance. I think you will definitely need to bring in some quality. Absolutely. I think that's true. And and they've got a lot to prove as well. I don't, I don't, no one's particularly happy with you know, how it all kind of ended two seasons ago and while some Norwich fans will say well they were good enough uh, they, they, you know, they were good enough to stay up that season they shouldn't have gone down but the fact was they were and in fairness to Alec Neal he will have said that he's going to give them a chance and he, he'll want to keep the group together and I, I think the dynamic this summer is probably about keeping the players who would have left if they hadn't have managed to, to do it by the same token he has been very forthright with them about the fact that they weren't good enough because they got relegated in the Premier League and I think he will set the bar quite high for them going into into next season and, and that's the thing about Alec Neal I, 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 get, I get the point of the question but the way he's gone about things in the last six months and what he did at Hamilton is just an air of the fact that no one's going to really rest on any laurels no one's going to be complacent about anything because he demands it is incredible if you look at his uh, sort of career as a player Adrianians in Scotland few years at Barnsley then Mansfield then to Hamilton managed Hamilton got them into the Scottish Premiership last season in a playoff 33 years old and he's going to be managing alongside you know Mourinho uh, all the sort of big name managers in the Premier League Wenger and so on how can you even sum up this job he's done 17 wins in 25 games it's incredible it is um, I mean I would look <laughs> I remember thinking about what Paul Lambert had done at, at Carroll Road, turning up from you know an indifferent reception when when he came across from Colchester and they they paid some money for him and the job he did in three seasons to get Norwich from that from the League One depths to um, a, an established Premier League club at least for a season was phenomenal and 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 as that progressed you just think that well you'll you'll never see anything like this again but in in a, in a way what Alec has managed Alec has managed in. Six months. I, th- I think Norwich took more points in the year than anyone else. I mean, there's an interesting thing with Norwich because uh, some people may say, well, in, in truth, with the squad they had, maybe that's what they should have been doing before Christmas as well as after it. But the way he turned things around, everything he's kind of said and how he's managed the players and got the best out of them and given them some home truths, yet kept the spirit of the group together as well, which is probably easier when you when you're winning games and that was almost the best thing it was it's 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 probably crowning glory in terms of his time so far at the club on monday because that game against middlesbrough at carroll road it felt like Isaac Karanka kind of did a number on him and the way alec neil seemed to learn from that and gear his side to learn 
from every mistake they made in that game back in April that cost them automatic promotion. Um, it was it was phenomenal to see, and it's it's going to be fascinating how he deals with it because he's risen to the challenge here from from no one knowing who he was really in this part of the world and then probably in the country to now probably he's going to be one of the most talked about managers heading into the Premier League next season. I think it's really important that the club have managed to go back up at the first time of asking because Absolutely. if you if you don't do that as I mean as has happened to Norwich themselves before it takes all the all the longer to to rebuild the club you know you can you, a club can sort of survive a year after relegation with the parachute payments and can probably take some of those Premier League wages and, and still keep players on contracts before then having to sell them if they don't get back up. But now, you know, those pressures are gone. You can keep most of those players or your better players who are earning the higher the, the higher wages and you've got another round of Premier League money to go with what you had before to really strengthen the squad and the whole infrastructure of the club. Yep, absolutely. I wrote it I wrote it probably within a couple of hours when they went down. <laughs> first first shot is the best shot for every reason you've just said. And the fact is, I mean, Norwich would have had players that I think um certainly I know that Middlesbrough were looking at for most of the season. Now they've gone up, they probably would have had a nibble at them. Players like Nathan Redmond as well who I think for a long time talk of Southampton paying eight, ten million pounds and bidding this, that and the other for him over the last twelve months, you looked at it and thought, well, he'd probably bite your hand off for that. But the way he's played in the last few months, not a not a chance. You you, you tie him down, you get more deals in and as I said, that's almost the extra the additional benefit for Norwich having been in the Premier League for three of the last four years. It's um you can make the championship season the anomaly, if you like, and really try and build again. And you can only do that by yo-yoing. And we have we haven't I haven't really seen that phenomenon much in recent years. QPR did manage it last year, but I don't know how secure the foundations ever were there. So uh, it's now just turn to prove that those foundations are a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, sustainable. Cameron Jerome, I'm asking this question because he scored again on uh, Monday and he scored yeah. uh, some vital goals in the last few weeks of the season, including against Ipswich in the playoffs. Talk to us a bit about him because we, he's, his name's cropped up on the show quite a bit in recent months as someone who is an excellent championship striker but has never quite cracked it in the Premier League. Why do you think that he's suddenly come alive like this under, under Alex Neal? What's been the difference? Yeah, it's a, tr- it's a tricky one because uh, you might not be asking the right person because I, I must admit, I was convinced Lewis Gravel was going to start on Monday. And even though um, Cam has scored a few, you know, a, he's had a great season in terms of goals, one of his best ever. Uh, he, he, he's, he misses chances and he, for all his power and pace and the impact he can have on a game, he doesn't always do it enough or as much as you would want. Um, that said, I think Alec Neal's been perfectly happy with him. So I'm, I'm talking about my viewpoint is that sometimes he's just not having the impact in there and sometimes his hold-up play isn't as good as you'd think it could be. And actually, when Lewis Graben was playing and City were really flying, his movement and almost extra gear of work rate was, was wearing teams down so that when Jerome would come on, he would then take a chance and score. I think he scored he had a pretty good strike rate coming on the bench, coming on off from the bench for about half an hour to go or whatever. So... But then you watch Monday's performance. Now, Monday's performance, that first 45 minutes was, was brilliant across the board, but he was outstanding yesterday. And I suppose what I would say is if he plays like that regularly, even in the top flight, he's going to have an impact against um, you know the, the, the lower half of that table and he's going to make a difference. It's just about getting that out of him regularly. And Alec Neal's done a pretty good job of making it happen um, often enough I think he did very well in, in all three playoff games actually so I would say though that um, striking options 
will be one of the areas that he'll need to strengthen going up. I mean, I, I think they'll need a, a, a key player in each in each section. Really, you know, you're going to need a centre back, a central midfielder, probably a winger and a striker. You've kind of answered my uh, my next question for me already. I was going to ask sort of what areas of the team you think need strengthening. I'd certainly agree. I think central defence possibly could be a, could be an area. But instead, I'll ask you: looking at the teams that went up this season, who went up last season as it, as it was now, Leicester and Burnley in particular. Which what sort of approach do you think we'll see Norwich take to, to recruitment? You know, Burnley didn't spend much at all, and a couple of minor additions, and you know, kept kept their house in order and now you know looking more to the future really rather than trying to break the bank Leicester although it looked like they were going to go down and pay the price at one stage spent big money you know nearly 10 million on Ajoa um, Kramerich Kramerich came in you know big sort of glamorous signing not for transfer fee but for wages on Cambiasso and it paid dividends for them in the end do you think we'll see Norwich spending 10 million pounds on a player or will it be more modest well, they've had their fingers burnt because um, they've still got um, a two years of Ricky Van Wolfsburg's contract to run down, and that was um, that was uh, seven and a half. Eight, as soon as he said fingers burnt, there. As soon as he said fingers burnt, his name just cropped into my head yeah, for the first time yeah. in about a year and a half. And 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 other painful experiences too, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a tricky one because Norwich don't tend to do well when they shell out a load of money. And in fact, they were, it was remarkable how they got. Eighteen million pounds for just Robert Snodgrass and Leroy Fair um, when they went down, and that you know helped them keep hold of everyone else. Really, I mean, they, they, they probably could do similar to what Burnley did, only they're in a better position. And as I said, I know we've sort of discussed this, but they they have got a good group that has Premier League experience. It is very different to Burnley going up and keeping hold of the side that got them up as a surprise from the Championship. So that's a different situation. Then probably not as bankrolled as Leicester, but they are in a fantastic. They're debt free, um, and I, I would. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they will still be debt free uh, off the back of their promotion. They've got a huge amount of money coming in that they would have only half planned for, so they will be spending money. I think they will be spending um, maybe not as much as teams like Sunderland and, and Swansea and those who've you know, not had the drop in revenue Norwich have had this year. But surely, said, surely sorry, I was going to say, surely the aim should be, if you're talking about a Premier League club, someone like Crystal Palace, who, you know, sort of in the 90s with Norwich were in the Premier League sort of, you know, one season or whatever, and then got relegated, then sort of struggled to come back up, then went back up and then got relegated again. And now they seem to have established themselves. Maybe that's the sort of, you know, sort of a target that Norwich should be setting themselves over the next two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the only thing is, I don't think you can. I, I don't know if you can yo-yo twice anymore. <laughs> I think QPR will struggle with that. And Norwich having gone down, like if they were to say go straight back down again, I don't think they'd keep the same group of players. I think it's a different dynamic. So I think this is this is now the point where they have to build again. As a club of Norwich's size, it's going to be cyclical. It's, it's going to be. It's hard to imagine that at some point, Swansea, Southampton, Sunderland. Uh, even West Ham, I suppose, then they're not going to be involved in the relegation scraps and probably drop out at some point. So Norwich just need to prolong those those spells and, and see if they have those seasons where they can really kick on. Now, what Crystal Palace have done is fantastic uh, and it's almost remarkable because then they've had the, you know a reasonable churn of managers as well. And you think about the crisis that they were encountering right at the start of last of, of the season just gone. Um, and now I think in Alan Pardew they've got someone who's going to hang around and the fans will, will will believe in. So that, I think, is the position that Norwich would like to be in because Paul Lambert always felt like when there was a chance for him to um, disappear, he would. Chris Hewton had a decent first season, but he just the, 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 neg- well, 
cautious approach to the football, never really won over enough fans to have him entirely on side. And I think if Alec can prove what you know what he's doing is 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 a long term trend. And I think David McNally, the chief executive, has already mentioned that. They hope that he will be around for a while and they can really build on that platform and establish themselves in the Premier League for as long as possible. I mean, I think three years was their last spell when they were relegated this time last year. That was the longest single spell Norwich had had in the Premier League. So you know, that's what they basically aiming to um, to extend. Well, you can enjoy the summer now. Um, that's, that's for sure after Monday. <laughs> it's a lot um, shorter now. <laughs> it certainly is. Go and have a lie down, Michael, and uh, it. enjoy it. Uh, thanks for coming on. Good to talk to you. Pleasure, anytime. That is Michael Bailey, sports journalist at the Eastern Daily Press and the Norwich Evening News, and you can follow Michael on Twitter as well. He is at Michael J. Bailey. Next, we're going to be focusing a bit more on the Championship Playoff Final from a Middlesbrough perspective, and we're also going to be speaking to Mark Warburton. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. So I don't know about you, DC, but I've got to be honest, going into that game, we did the big build-up last week. We gave Middlesbrough all the plaudits. They'd beaten Norwich twice in the league. Um, I was really impressed by Middlesbrough in the, in the semi-final second leg. I fancied them to win. Uh, I was actually at Lords on Monday, which is another amazing atmosphere. But when I checked the score and it was 2-0, I was really surprised. So I basically, I didn't see that result coming, but they just didn't turn up, did they? They didn't. Well, they nearly didn't literally turn up <laughs> for Wembley. That as well. Um, which a lot has been made of, actually. But Karanka was at pains to point out that they had no bearing on the result. They turned up late to games before this season in the semi-final against Brentford away on the Friday night. And, but they did have they builders weren't. in the dressing room at 6am putting up signs that said believe yeah. and things like that. I saw the dressing room was spectacular. Little pictures. Each player had their own sort of life-size picture of themselves in their little... Um, little spot in the dressing room um, they didn't though they didn't turn up on the day they put in a very flat lifeless performance I mean I suppose the big turning point for them is that minute sort of in the first sort of five oh, six minutes of the game where both sides hit the bar um, Norwich hit the bar first I think it was Johnson yeah, and, and then, then Vossen Vossen went down the other end and nearly scored a spectacular a goal, that goal. didn't go in Soon after, Cameron Jerome takes advantage of some pretty poor defending by Daniel Diala, slips it in at the near post. The goalkeeper, I think, should have done better there as well. He shouldn't be conceding a goal like that, you know, any game, let alone a player final at Wembley. And then uh, the the what the move in the, the goal, the first touch and the finish from Nathan Redmond, preceded by all those passes. Almost every member of the team got involved in that move. Um, and at that point, you think, Christ, Norwich could run away with this here and score, you know, four or five who, who knows but they didn't they just controlled the game Middlesbrough didn't really have any other chances of no a couple of little half ones few set pieces and stuff but you know their big players Bamford you know, had a very very quiet game he was gutted at the end still uh, injured possibly yeah perhaps uh, Adoma I thought you know, he, he actually got a bit of the ball early on got down the right hand side quite a lot but woeful crossing on every every attempt that he put in early on and and that was that. And um, Middlesbrough will be bitterly disappointed because, you know, you, you get one chance in these games and they fluff their lines. And Karanka has said he's going to stay and, you know, fight again. And they have come a long way. You know, they, they, initially they will be disappointed. They'll be crushing disappointment to see your team lose in such a manner at Wembley. But once the dust has settled and they have a bit of time to reflect, they've had a brilliant season. They've come a long way under Karanka, which he was pointing out. You know, when he turned up, they were near, near the bottom of the table, 12,000. 13,000 people going to to the Riverside. You know, they've had full houses now this season. That place has been bouncing. They've seen some great football. They've got a good collection of players there, with with the exception of Bamford, who will will now probably go. You won't... I I don't think that squad will be picked apart. 
No. And I think they can keep that team together and be strong next season. Talking about the fans, the amount of Middlesbrough fans in London over the weekend, Trafalgar Square yeah. on Saturday night, some of the pictures and videos doing the rounds on Twitter, is superb. I gather you were just sort of caught amongst them all, were you, on Sunday? Well, more Norwich than Middlesbrough. There were a few okay. Middlesbrough fans, but because I was coming into work through Stratford on the Jubilee line and that's one of the sort of major stations if you if you live out in East Anglia you come into uh, London yeah. through Stratford so there was a lot of Norwich fans um, I've got an email for you would you like, would you like to hear it yes. it's from uh, Dennis Lindrews our Finnish listener oh Dennis Middlesbrough fan Hello. he's back hi guys the Finnish Middlesbrough fan here what a season it's been again personally I think it's justified that we're not playing in the Premier League we were outplayed in the first leg at Brentford in the playoffs and I dread to think how we manage in the top division after that performance on Monday uh, make no mistake Karankas done a very good job improved our defence and we don't let in ridiculous last minute own goals like we did under Mogger uh, but we definitely need a new goalkeeper and a proven striker especially if we lose Bamford more creativity and goals from midfield wouldn't be bad either he's not asking for much is he uh, hopefully the players will learn from this uh, experience just like Watford who had a pretty poor game at Wembley a few years back PS yeah. took us two seasons to get back there, sadly yeah. I wasn't able to come to, uh, come to England to watch a game this season but I'm planning a trip to London later in the year um, I'm sure it'll go free from Dennis long term listener enjoys the show well, Dennis let us know when you're in London absolutely we'll see if we can come and say hello we'll get you involved mm. um, the side the middles were beat to get to Wembley last week uh, back when everything was looking a little bit rosy were Brentford uh, they came through 4-1 in aggregate in the semi-final so that ended Brentford's fine first season in the championship with a fifth place finish which is a pretty brilliant result considering they only got promoted last season uh, the manager who achieved all that was of course Mark Warburton but um, as has been well documented he's leaving the club over the summer along his assistant David Weir and the sporting director there Frank McParland uh, Warburton was the sporting director himself uh, before he took over as the manager following the departure of Uwe Rosler to Wigan uh, so he's now looking for a new job because of this remodelling of the club's management structure under Matthew Benham uh, Mark has been on the show before but when we uh, uh, back when we did our Say No to League 3 uh, but a few days ago we managed to catch up with Mark in this very studio and have a chat with him uh, he was sat on the world's squeakiest chair just to uh, point that out uh, before we play the interview I started by asking him whether he could have dreamed that Brentford would have had such a good season this time last summer no, a lot's happened in a, in a relatively short period of time, but there was no lack of belief about the quality of the players. Um, but it was just them finding their feet and then realising how good they could be. But as you say, it, uh, they've showed their worth in the course of the season. It must be must be strange for you sitting here a year on from winning promotions to the Championship in your first season at the club. You've had a fantastic season in the Championship. I think getting to a playoff semi-final was more than anyone expected of you. And yet you do face a future where you'll be looking for a job in the summer. Yeah, and that's basically it in a nutshell. You know, that's how football works. People told me it's a strange game and you don't quite believe it until you're involved in it. And it really is a strange game. But um, no, it's that, that's it now. And I've mentioned all along that I respect the decision of the board and, and now we have to look forward. What do you think about the future of Brentford? Obviously, it remains to be seen who's going to come in and replace you. There's been already been some restructuring in the internal structure of the football side of things. But... The group of players that, that are there, if they keep hold of them, do you think they can continue the success next season? I've got no doubt about the quality of the group of players. and The average age, less than 24. Um, some real young talents there. Obviously, they're going to lose the likes of the lone players in terms of the Alex Pritchard and the John Torrells, but I'm sure they can they can replace those. And The, the club and the squad in general is, is in good shape, good hands. This season, we've seen, obviously, Brentford uh, get to the playoffs. Uh, Bournemouth win the title. What do you think that says about the division that teams can come up smaller clubs and do well in the Championship when you've got so many ex-Premier League teams in there? No, it's interesting. I think you're, you're dealing... It tells you many things. It tells you about the gap isn't quite so wide. 
So when you sit in the, in the, for example, the teams at the top of League One, how far are they away from the teams at the bottom of the Premier League? Um, that's the, that's it because you're trying to get the promotion and then see how you fare, and you have to play against the teams as you mentioned coming down from the Premier League. So it tells you that gap is not quite as wide as people imagine. Uh, I think it also tells you look at look at ourselves, look at Bournemouth, look at Burnley last year. I don't think there's a case for huge squads. I think it's it's utilising tighter squads and making sure people get good pitch time. Um, obviously, you like injuries, etc. But there's many lessons you can learn from this. There's different schools of thought, obviously. But my one would be look at their gap from top of League One to bottom of the Premiership, and as I say, keeping the squad size tight. Do you think that gap between the Premier League and the Championship might grow over the next few years with the new TV deal that's going to come in next season being so so astronomically huge that the clubs that do come down from the Premier League plus the parachute payments and the money they've already got? You know, it's going to be really hard for smaller clubs to compete. I totally agree. And it, that really has very serious implications, I think, because as you say, to come bottom of the Premier League, I'm not sure the exact figure now, but it's not far for £100 million. Mm. Is that right? Or whatever the figure it's going to go be. up, yeah. And it's going to keep on going up year by year or de- deal by deal. So I think the implications have to be looked at, and they, I'm not sure what you can do about that. I think it's, it's life and you, ha- you have to get on with it, but it puts the emphasis on recruitment. Just sort of let us into what goes on over the summer now for someone like you. Obviously, you're going to be looking for a job. Will you just have a few weeks off, take, take a complete break from football after such a long and gruelling season or are you already sort of looking for, for where you're going to go next? I'm sure everyone's different, but I, I'm being told by some very wise heads to, to go and take a three or four months <laughs> off and uh, that's not me at all. I've got to be honest, I've, I've never had a day unemployed since I left school and, and, and I, don't, I don't enjoy sitting at home gardening, playing golf, whatever it may be. I, I like to be busy. Um, so my personal aim would be to to try and find the right opportunity somewhere where we can add value and um, and take a project forward. You're going to be in an interesting position now, wherever you end up next, because I suppose coming in the way you did at Brentford, there was probably wasn't many external expectations. There would be pressure on yourself internally, of course, but nobody probably knew what to expect from you, and it went so well getting promoted in your first season. Now you've got a reputation, you know, that wherever you do turn up next, you've, you've got a reputation to protect and people will expect perhaps more of you and it's going to be a completely different challenge. Yeah, but I think you've got to enjoy that and relish that challenge. I think if you're fearful of it, then you're in the wrong industry. But I think that goes for any line of work is that you want to build a reputation of being OK at what you do. And um, as I say, if you move up a level, then you have to again keep proving yourself. And, and that's the nature of life in general, I think. But enjoy it and don't be don't be fearful of it. Do you have any... Uh, reservations maybe about dropping down into League 1 or League 2 to get a job or do you feel now you've, you've proved yourself at championship level and that's where you'd perhaps look to get back no, in? I think I don't think I've, I've got no no fears or worries at all about dropping down and moving up I think what you have to do is choose very wisely we, we speak to players about making the right decisions coaches, managers likewise you live and die by your decisions and, and the wrong choice at the wrong time can, can cost you dearly so I think look at the options available if there are options of course and look at the potential and the support you're going to get and your reporting lines and your budgets and look at, ask, ask the right questions. I mentioned a recent course that I was on. I think the key for me is making sure that you're, you're brave enough to ask the right questions of your potential employees. You just mentioned earlier on how young the average age of the Brentford squad is. You've had a history of working with young players. I mean, tell us about Alex Pritchard and John Terrell in, for two examples of you know, excellent players you've worked with. How, how far do you think they could go in the game? Both can go all the way, in my, in my opinion. Um, Alex is, I think, about uh, 15 months older than John. John's just turned 20. Let's start with Alex Pritchard. He's, he went to Swindon last year, did a great job in League One, moved up now to Championship, played 44, 45 games for us, done exceptionally well, under-21 honours, going to Prague in the summer with Gareth Southgate uh, and now going back to his parent club. 
Uh, I've got no doubts that Alex can go all the way in the game. What he has to now do is look at the challenges he'll face next year. So for, I've just mentioned playing 44, 45 games. Now he has to go back. He might find himself possibly playing 10, 15 games. That, that might be the situation for Alex, but working and, and leaving every day around top quality first team players and getting to know what his manager wants from him or expects from him. So he now has to face a different type of challenge, but I've got no doubt he's good enough to do it. And John Terrell came over from, from Barcelona to Arsenal with uh, Hector Bellerin. Um, John's a real talent. I can't speak high enough about his attitude on and off the pitch. Uh, an outstanding young professional. So much quality, so much ability on the ball. He's a joy to watch sometimes in training every day. Uh, and I think, again, for me, it's just a case of him now taking the next step and being good enough to play at the very highest level. A player who you've just come up against in the playoffs, Patrick Bamford. He's had a fine season for Middlesbrough, did very well at Derby last season. And he's a player now that people will be looking at and be wondering whether he might get an opportunity at Chelsea or maybe a loan, maybe with Middlesbrough if they go up in the player final. But how do you look at him, a player like him, and see making that transition from being a promising loan player to establishing themselves in a Premier League club? I think he, he, he's well aware. He's a very smart guy, Pat, from what I'm told about him. Um, but as you rightly say, he's got an MK Dons, improved himself, got a derby, improved himself, gone to Middlesbrough, Championship Player of the Year. So a tremendous achievement for a young player. Showed his quality time and time again. Every time he's had a challenge put before him, he, he's risen to it and overcome it. So I think he's aware of the, the quality of the Premier League at Chelsea. He's aware of what he has to do. Um, but he's also aware that he's very sought after in demand. So, as you said, if it, if it means he has to go to a promoted team or another premiership team to continue the education, then then I'm sure that Chelsea will arrange it. But I've got no doubts that Patrick is, uh, has an outstanding career ahead of him. So that was the Brentford manager, or former Brentford manager, if you listen to this in June, uh, Mark Warburton speaking to us a couple of days ago. Uh, very interesting to see where he is going to be in August, which dugout he's going to be in. Absolutely, you know, he, he's playing his cards very close to his chest as he's, as he's done ever since the news broke back in February, was it? But um, I think he will have had offers already. You know, People have known for so long that he was going to be out of work in the summer. There are jobs coming up left, right and centre. His name seems to be you know, up, there, up there in the betting odds all the time. He's always on the TV at the moment. You know, He's putting himself out there as a sort of media personality as well. So it's not like he's trying to take a step back and take some time out and get out of the spotlight. I think, as you could hear from, from our chat with him there, he's, he's keen to get back in. He's eager to build on what he's done at Brentford. He should be very proud of the job he's done at Brentford. It's ended in strange circumstances. But a club out there looking for a manager in the summer, as, as many clubs are and, and will be in the next few weeks, he's got to be right at the top of many shortlists. OK, well, while we're still in the championship, should we play out a little bit of your chat with Paul Robinson? You've been a busy man this week. I have, yeah. Um, so, Paul Robinson, Birmingham... You're trying to make me out of some sort of, you know, <laughs> waster at the start of the show. Birmingham captain Paul Robinson, um, who has kind of been part of the squad, which um, have had a great season, actually, this year, compared to the fact they've only stayed up in... Certainly, a great end to the season. Last minute. Yeah. Uh, last season, didn't they? That uh, last game at Bolton. Uh, obviously, Lee Clark left. Gary Rowett took over, gave up the job at Burton in League Two to go back to one of his former clubs. Uh, so uh, you caught up with Paul Robinson, and you started by asking him how impressed he'd been by the job that Rowett had done since he'd come into St Andrews. Yeah, I think the gaffer realised what what sort of job was in hand. Um, he, he used to play for Birmingham, so he understood the connection between him and and the fans and the players. Um, and he just he wanted us to go out and believe in ourselves as players and, and have that confidence to go on the football pitch, play as a team um, and stick together. Um, there's no there's no hiding places when you're out there and and he just he just give that calming influence over us where we where we went on the pitch and believe we could get three points every game. 
Were there any, you know, you talk about there about maybe some of the psychological aspects of, of a new manager coming in and restoring confidence to the players. Were there anything in terms of tactical changes or, or team selection that you think really made a difference? He just he just worked on the training pitch of us being very solid as a group um, to not not have too many gaps where teams could get through us um, to make him go wide um, show him out wide so there wasn't coming through the middle and 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 just to get us together as a, as a team and, and and be very hard to beat. You're going to be there for another year, Alicia. Player coach next season. Yeah, player the, coach. The ripe old age of thirty six. I mean, it. you're still going strong though. I mean, and and you know, it's a really gruelling schedule of games in the championship you know Saturday Tuesday all the time do you hold up much hope of playing many games next season or would you focus more on the coaching no, I hope to. I hope still to play a lot. Um, obviously, the gaffer's going to have in mind uh, when to play me in, in different types of games. I understand that, but yeah, it's also a great opportunity for me coaching-wise and and working with Richard Bill and the under twenty ones. Um, it'd be a great learning curve for me and give me that confidence to when I finally hang my boots up to go into the coaching and management side of things. I, I remember seeing you make make you know, some of your first ever appearances for Watford way back when uh, under Graham Taylor, and I mean to to think that you're still playing at thirty six is quite remarkable, and you know playing at such a high level but what's it like being getting getting to that sort of age with with the kind of modern science and sports science and the dietary and all that sort of things you know how how what sort of things do you need to do to make sure that you can you know be physically able to play as many games as you have done I just look after myself um, prepare myself in the right way yeah obviously when you get older you're going to feel it a little bit more with your legs and and certain niggles but um, it's about about recovery really and the way I look after myself not just on the pitch but off it as well and um, I'm always well prepared looking looking after and eating the right foods and drinking the right drinks um, and I think like you say with the sports science side of things you've, you've got that, that that plays a massive part now in your recovery and the way you look after yourselves and yoga I've started yoga as well so that, that tends to, to loosen me off a lot a lot better and, and, and make me feel a lot more flexible so yeah like you say um, I, I think I surprise myself sometimes at, at, at still playing at 36 but that's just me that's the, my love of the game and, and the way I'm driven as a player now, just looking ahead, maybe to, to next season. Obviously, with the strong finish this season, I think that will always bring. You know, fans will will have reason to be optimistic about maybe we could get into the playoffs next mm. season with the right run of form and the right players coming in. I've seen Gary talking about there'll be money available to spend on the squad, but the overall size of the squad might be smaller, yeah. which might be you know being that you're able to bring in a few more players, maybe on higher wages or, or for higher transfer fees. So, what what are your hopes for next season? My hopes are the same as the gaffers um, and every other player who wants um, to push themselves that extra mile um, is to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I want I want the club to get promoted. I want it to get back to the Premier League, um, even if it's after I've finished and I'm there coaching. It, it'd just be a fantastic achievement to know that you've been a part of that and you've achieved it as a group. Um, but the players themselves have got to realise is that they've got to come in and, and go through pre-season and push themselves to limits probably that they don't know that they've got and, and have that desire in getting to that get into that part of the uh, the league where you can look up and you can look down on teams and, and, and look forward to, to having that drive to get to that, that goal which is getting promoted Nice guy Yeah absolutely it was a pleasure to speak to him certainly from the perspective of him being a Watford legend I saw him play many times in, in sort of my early years of watching the team and 
you know, he was always, even from day one, a wholehearted, full-blooded defender. Any, any team that any team that's seen him play against him or for them will know what he's all about. And he's no, he's not changed, but he's had a great career, really. If you look at what he's done, he's played in the Premier League, and there's been a lot of times probably when people thought, right, this might be it for him, but he's still going at 36 and still playing in the Championship, which is a testament to him. I would not want to go into a 50-50 with Paul Robinson. Absolutely not. That much no. is sure. Uh, right, coming up, we're going to hear from Richard Foster, who's the author of a brand new book called The Agony and the Ecstasy, a comprehensive history of the playoffs. And we're going to be talking about the League One and League Two playoff finals. That's after this. It's time to do something great together. Join Men United and help beat prostate cancer. Search Men United now. So Norwich weren't the only team victorious in the playoffs at Wembley over the weekend. After 10 attempts, La Decima, as they're <laughs> calling it, Preston North End have won in the playoffs. Stop what you're doing. Wake the neighbours. Wake the dog. They've actually done it. They've been promoted with an absolute rout of poor old uh, Swindon Town who got absolutely battered by Beckford. A hat-trick for Jermaine Beckford in the playoff final. And whenever him and Simon Grayson link up, it seems to click. Uh, a great victory for Preston and for Simon Grayson, his fourth promotion. Yeah, loves getting out of League One. He does. He? Expert at it. Um, I'm pleased for them as well. They were by far the better team, as obviously as the scoreline suggests. Beckford, you know, getting his hat trick in in fine style. Swindon again. I mean, much like Murrisburg, didn't really turn up on the day. Well, we did be very disappointed. We did wonder after they conceded five goals in the second leg mm. of the semi final how they would fare against Garner uh, and Beckford. And the vultures are swirling well. already. Luongo, I saw, was linked in some of the. Uh, uh, papers and websites today to move to Aston Villa that that Tim Sherwood connection which helped a few years back when he was at Spurs might come back to to haunt them now um, great character after they they bottled it at Colchester on the last day of the season and I remember reading some tweets from I think the club tweeted the playoff ticket details about an hour after the game and all the comments below were like f off you you know pathetic yeah. bunch of no absolutely and right two weeks later here they are I think for them to to pick themselves up and get back through the playoffs it can't have been easy because that that last game against Colchester it was a, a, you know a pathetic way really for them to to blow the chance of automatic promotion when they've been up there for so long all season so well done to them good luck to them and I'll be interested to see what some of those players do in the championship Beckford's been there before and scored goals Garner's played there before hasn't scored goals in the championship can he you know prove his maybe if there are any critics out there of him can he prove them wrong Grayson's been in the championship before it's going to be interesting there was a couple of really early injuries actually for the sides that lost Saturday and Sunday in the playoffs with uh, Nathan Thompson um, with the first goal getting injured and obviously in the League 2 game with Sam Saunders even quicker yeah. than that which we'll, we'll come on to in a second um, quick bit of trivia for you that was only the third ever hat-trick in a playoff final what you were the, what, me the others yeah Mandonka yes in the championship 98 against, uh, against Sunderland, Sunderland. the other one was a game well this might give it away actually but in the spirit of fairness uh, we watched it together in a pub in Covent Garden I think oh uh, Sinclair yes Scott correct Sinclair, yeah. Scott Sinclair Swansea. 2011 for Swansea <laughs> against Reading and we should mention I mean it has done the rounds a lot on Twitter and in some of the uh, the tabloids but the, the shot of the little boy getting Beckford's 
shirt when he yeah. came off and the woman grabbing it out of his hand. Well, they, uh, Beckford's going to give him a shirt. Oh, the club have contacted news. him and he's going to give him a shirt. So Excellent Everyone's news. Everyone's happy. Yeah. yeah, except Karma Queen. It was a terrible <laughs> yeah. day. Uh, League 2, Southend 1, Wickham 1 after extra time. Southend promoted 7-6 win on penalties. That doesn't even begin to tell the story oh. of this game, which finished 0-0 actually in normal time. Barry Court had a goal disallowed for Southend in the first half. Uh, went to extra time a fantastic free kick from Joe Jacobson which hit the bar and then hit the back of Daniel Bentley and went in looked like being the the deciding moment and then DC in the last seconds of stoppage time Joe Piggott and what a great bit of work by Miles Weston down the left for that I goal know. as well one of the really for the first time he skinned his man all afternoon really um, but what a time to do it uh, and a composed finish by Piggott um and the Wiccan players straight onto the turf. Um, well, that's the thing. It wasn't actually a great game in the 90 minutes or even in the 120 minutes, really. It was pretty it was pretty attritional stuff. It was very tight. It really wasn't much between the two sides. Perhaps Southend w- would say that they shaved it having that disallowed goal and they probably had slightly better chances. But, you know, great bit of quality from Jacobson to score the free kick. And it would have been such a shame for Bentley to have actually, you know, would have been credited with the own goal, I suppose, and to have lost the game in, in that manner. But they got the goal right at the death. And then I think you know, that has to have a psychological impact on the Wiccan players. You could see, you could see that it did. They all slumped to their knees, you know, laying on the ground, heads in their hand. And, you know, they had to pick themselves up and, and try and win the penalty shootout. And, but, you know, even at one point they were ahead in the penalty shootout. And then, of course, who was the hero? You know, the outstanding player of Southend, one of the outstanding players in League Two for the last few, uh, few seasons. He's got a big future, Daniel Bentley. And he's, you know, he's really made a name for himself now on a, on a big stage. Apparently there were some shots of some Southend fans running back into the ground. There was. It was brilliant. They obviously had the cameras down Wembley Way for all for all these games. And I mean, it's great to see. It's a sort of great moment to see on TV. But I've got to say, what are you doing? Leaving leaving a player final and it's only 1-0. It's the playoffs. This kind of stuff happens. But of course it does. It's absurd for you to leave a game, or any game, of a game of that magnitude. You've paid good money, travelled a long way to get to Wembley and you leave... I mean, all right, it takes a while to get down Wembley Way after a game, but it doesn't matter. That. It doesn't matter if it takes a long, you know, it's an occasion. Ridiculous. And you know, if they didn't get back in, it serves them right. Very sad that um, Matt Bloomfield was one of the Wiccan players yeah. to miss in the penalty shoot. I've been such a long servant in the club. And we had the really sort of strange scenes of Gareth Ainsworth and Phil Brown sort of with their arms around well, each I th- other. Well, I thought that was great because they had a bit of, um, a bit bit of, of needle in, in the game. There was, I think it was... Uh, situation where one of the teams didn't give the ball back after a free kick or something and they're having a go at each other but I think although Ainsworth came across so well in the, in the aftermath of this, this this defeat because he said to Phil Brown look let's watch it together and it, there was no charging onto the pitch from Phil Brown and singing and dancing straight away it was you know he embraced Gareth Ainsworth and they, they knew that it was look, no one gave him a microphone this there time. was a piece of paper between them it was you know there was nothing to decide between the, the two teams really apart from the penalty shootout. And Ainsworth said, you know, I don't treat this as a, as a failure. Where we've come from to where we are now, we've, we've come such a long way and you know, I've got the taste for promotion and next season we're going to do it. And it's the perfect attitude to have. I'm sure his players will go into the summer now disappointed but also feeling optimistic for next season think of the tan Phil Brown's going to have when he gets back from his summer break oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'll say uh, right so it's time to hear a little bit of your interview now with Richard Foster who's written mm. a book all about the playoffs we've seen yeah. the drama 51 goals in this season's playoffs uh, which is a joint record um, so Richard has written a new book which is called The Agony and the Ecstasy and uh, it's all about the history of the playoffs basically which a lot of people won't know you know in the grand scheme relatively a recent concept really well they are but also 
when they were they were created, as you'll hear in the interview, they were created not necessarily for the purposes of which they currently stand. So, um, yeah, lots of interesting things to hear. Okay, you started by asking Richard about the uh, the playoffs and the fact that it's either glory or utter heartbreak for teams at Wembley. You're exactly right, and it's it's that ridiculous dividing line. In fact, it, one of my favourite uh, photos of the book is actually on the back cover, which shows Wembley about two minutes after the championship playoff final last year, where you've got the blue half completely full, cavorting, enjoying you know the success of QPR in that last minute. The red half completely empty. I mean, gone. Because there's no point in hanging around after you've lost your playoffs final. There's nothing to see apart from the others, uh, you know, enjoying their time and their glory. So you want to get out of there. I, you know, I've been there. I'm a Palace fan, so I was uh, victorious against your team uh, yeah. two years ago, and I know how you must have felt because I've been there. You know, when Leicester beat us in the last minute of extra time, when Claridge scored a very fluky goal, the worst, worst I've ever felt in a football match and and, I've been to over 500 games in my time so it just encapsulates this this extraordinary dichotomy between the victors and the losers and I think it's the biggest gap that you can have in a football match and of course I mean the the, the brilliant thing about the playoffs is how good it is and how entertaining it is for for the neutral football fan and, and of course the championship playoff final in particular getting more and more valuable more and more important as each year goes on and it's you know next year in particular it's going to be astronomical sums of money on the line absolutely right you know because they were calculating that QPR's win uh, last year was worth about 134 million Uh, and obviously with the new TV deal kicking in the season after next they're talking about 200 million it seems ridiculous but actually when you look at the sums it makes sense i mean there was a there was a calculation made a couple of seasons ago when cardiff finished bottom of the premier league last year they actually earned more tv money than bayern munich who finished top obviously of the bundesliga and that's the sort of level we've got to now and it's just going to go keep going because as i say that tv deal has gone up by what was it 70% on the previous deal and then you got the overseas rights so 200 million pound match is not far away and just looking at the book now i mean the book starts with the tale of of how which may a lot of people may not be aware of really that we kind of come to be so used to having the playoffs as a regular fixture in the footballing calendar but of course they they, they haven't been around forever no. and and the origins of the of the playoffs themselves is quite an interesting story yeah i mean it, if you look at it, it when i started researching it there were actually um these series of test matches that they had in the Victorian time. So, you know, McGregor obviously came up with the idea of the Football League in 1888 and then they added a second division in, I think, 1892 and then they said, right, well, we need to have uh, promotion relegation and the way they sorted out promotion relegation in those days was actually they had these test matches that pitted the teams at the bottom of the first division to the teams at the top of the second division and they did that for a few years and then finally uh, there was a, a famous game where they had a sort of mini league table and Stoke and Burnley knew that if they drew that final game that both of them would be in the first division so they concocted this ridiculous goalless draw which if you read about it there wasn't one shot on goal the crowd actually got involved because they were so bored and wanted to see something happening uh, and then they abandoned this after the uh, obviously the match fixing and it got buried for about 100 years then it was brought back in the 1980s by a chap called Martin Lange of Brentford who's the chairman then and he came up with the idea because 
as we all know, football was in a right old state in the 1980s. It had declining crowds. No one was particularly interested in going. There was hooliganism. It basically was on its knees and they had to come up with a plan to try and rescue football because it was on the way out. And part of that plan was the playoffs. It was used as a mechanism to reduce the old first division from 22 to 20 clubs over two seasons. So there was a relegation slot as well involved for those two seasons. Uh, And the thing is, after that, it's grown into this wonderful climax to the season. It is... You know what everyone looks forward to, and obviously to to write such a book, you you must have had to go back and meticulously research all the playoff matches from throughout the years. I mean, how many how many hours have you spent sitting in front of TVs, what on YouTube, and watching clips and looking at old papers? I'd hate to tell you, David, because <laughs> if my wife ever found out, I'd be dead. No, uh, it's taken a long time. I've got to say because. I had the germ of this idea many, probably five years ago, uh, and then I just had the chance to spend quite a bit of time, and I obviously did the research, went into the library, as you say, sitting in front of YouTube clips. Um, But, I mean, you can't even calculate how long it takes to do a book like this. But the great thing is it's the first one, and I was amazed when I started looking at it that no one had done it before. So I'm very happy to be the first possibly the only book about the playoffs as as it exists and you know from here you know I can develop you know updated versions we we will be actually producing a paperback edition of the book uh, for August that will include this year because you know we had that insane game the Swindon Sheffield United game in the semi-final which uh, you know five all doesn't happen every day does it and it was uh, it was just a fantastic game and throughout the book sort of at the start of each chapter you've got like uh, kind of a little infographic showing of you know detailing some famous playoff goals yeah and I've just by complete random I've just flicked through and kind of the two I've come across are possibly two of the most famous ones the first one in the book Paul Dickoff's uh, uh, goal for Manchester City in extra time against Gillingham yeah. at Wembley in 99 and then a year earlier Clive Mendonca in that famous four all draw against Sunderland for Charlton at Wembley. I mean, would, would you say those two are kind of right up there in terms of the most iconic playoff moments? I think definitely. I mean, people do remember that Charlton-Sunderland game. I think it's been voted in sort of one of the greatest Wembley matches, let alone one of the greatest playoff matches. Uh, and also that Man City-Gillingham game was just insane because Gillingham actually took the lead in the 81st minute. They scored their second goal in about the 83rd, 84th minute. So you're imagining scoring two goals that late and then Man City score what seems like the consolation goal through Horlock and then Dickoff pops up and scores the goal in the 95th minute, goes to extra time, goes to penalties, Man City win, Man City are back up. Gillingham, you know, I mean, I, I just can't imagine how they felt about that. But though, no, I, I've got to say those two games were amazing, but you could pick another dozen and there are, I mean, there's an, the one game that people don't, remember particularly well because it was a semi-final was actually um, Forest versus Yeovil in 2006 I think it was Forest were 2-0 up from the away leg so they were coasting I remember a Forest fan coming in and I played football and he was going tickets who wants tickets to Wembley you know obviously it was it was done and dusted Forest lost 5-2 at home to Yeovil I remember it well and uh, you know it was just ridiculous how could how could Forest blow that so badly I was at university in Nottingham oh really at At that time yeah and I can remember just 
seeing you know the streets of Nottingham just deflated, people walking home from the game. You Awful. couldn't believe what what was happening. And, and Forest actually have one of the worst records because they've been in it four times. They haven't even got through a semi final yet. So and they tend to really blow up at home for some reason. The City Ground is not a happy place for Forest in the playoffs. Which kind of you know brings me on to the the sort of final section of the book where you've got a, a stat for each club. Yeah. Um, wonderfully illustrated in sort of nice little in- infographics or with the appropriate colours for each club and sort of you know and I suppose this illustrates the point that at some point almost all of the clubs in the Football League will have been involved in the playoffs yep. and it kind of for clubs who are maybe you know never even gotten beyond League One and you know, don't have much hope of reaching major cup finals or winning leagues or getting to the Premier League the playoffs themselves they do give all the clubs hope that there could be that moment of glory come the end of the season. You're absolutely right. And then 18 clubs have actually been to Wembley for the first time through the playoffs. And, you know, it gives those fans a day out. OK, it may be a very disappointing day, but it is a day at Wembley. And, you you know, the crowds, QPR Derby was 84,000, was it? I mean, that's a big crowd for, you know, what is a second level game. And I don't think you'd find that in any other country, Germany, possibly. You wouldn't get anywhere near that. And, you know, these clubs, they're on the big stage. A lot of the players see it as a shop window and lots of players have moved on when they prove themselves in the playoffs final. Let's look at Brendan Rodgers. I mean, when he took Swansea up four years ago, that was his signature tune. You know, I got Swansea up and obviously they did well and then he went to Liverpool. So there are a lot of people in football who owe quite a lot to the playoffs and and the fans. And, you know, there are 95 clubs who've been in the playoffs, which is more than actually in the Football League, clearly. But there are some that have left the Football League or don't exist anymore. But the vast majority, you're quite right, the vast majority of Football League clubs have been in the playoffs at some stage and will have a memory whether it's good or bad, and a very strong memory. And looking forward to, to the future, I mean, do, you, do you foresee, do you think the playoffs uh, will be forever here to stay or do you think we could ever come a time when we might have some sort of change of format from the Football League or anything? Well, they've looked at it a few times actually over the years and they came up with an idea to actually in- increase it to six clubs. Uh, this was under a guy called Phil Alexander who was the chief exec at Palace. Um, But in the end, the Premier League said we don't want a team coming up to the Premier League who could have been seventh or eighth, uh, you know, in the in the championship. So they block that. I think it works. You know, let's face it, it's been a great system. You've got four clubs going through the semi-final. To have six, it makes it more complicated. You'd have to wait it. And, you know, there is a there is a bit in the book about the Belgian system, which is the most insane system I've ever come across, where you've got a 16-team league and every single team goes into a playoff. So it's either for the Champions League spot, the Europa League spot, the, the possibly qualifying for the Europa League spot, and then they have a relegation. So every single team, once they finish the regular season, go into an after-season playoffs. And that is so complicated. And it just proves to me you've got to keep it simple. And the existing system is so simple it works it's hardly changed since it started and I, I, I don't see it ever being removed well if it ain't broke don't fix it the, exactly. the agony and the ecstasy a comprehensive history of the playoffs by Richard Foster available in all good bookshops I'm sure Amazon potentially yeah okay yeah, of course. excellent check it out thanks very much for your time Richard pleasure you're listening to We Are Going Up we've got the Football League covered
So this is it, the final push on the podcast for this season. A lot of people asking DC uh, how the uh, Fantasy League has gone. Mm. Season four, we are going up the Football League Fantasy Football, where I haven't changed my team since about October 2014. I'm pretty sure about it. In a way, it's kind of that should be the way, really, shouldn't it? Absolutely. You choose your team and, and stick, stick with it. With yeah. it. Um, so uh, let's have a look then at the final table. There is a, a, a sort of way that we can find out the names of all these people, but it's not working, and we're blaming the website and not us. So I can give you the top ten team names, but I can't give you their actual names of the who's teams these are if that makes sense so the top 10 this season Bowker FC in 10th wandered off 9 that's probably Joshua Bowker isn't it I imagine yes that. it is probably is uh, Geo Hagen's Army at 8 Rosie 47 at 7 they, whoever that is does very well usually that's a disappointing finish uh, 6 uh, Black uh, 5 Salajan City uh, 4 Escort Eagles 3 FC de Tropicana oh for god's sake <laughs> Karma Queen and Queen. Third. That's what he's been doing all year, just at home. Second place. Beavering away over his football league team. He does really well in the Premier League one as he well, does. doesn't he? he Too much time opposition. on that man's hands. Uh, two is the Muppets. And Muppets. Num- Muppets. Uh, number one, all roads lead to Rome. R-O-A-M. Whoever you are, you've had an astonishing season. 1,938 points. Click on points. the teams. Who's he got in his team? Okay, uh, leading the table by over 120 points. Oof. Or winning by over 120 points. John Ruddy, Russell Martin, Aidan Flynn, Anthony Kay, Matt Aiden Ritchie. Aidan Flynn, there you go. That'll do you a lot, won't it? Uh, Matt Ritchie, Alex Pritchard, Bradley Johnson, mm. Deli Alley, Ruben Reed, Joe Garner and Troy Deeney. Bloody good team, that. How Very... many transfers has he made down uh, the bottom? How do I see that? It's just sort of scroll down, does uh, it say? Sometimes it says kind of how many transfers. Maybe you, uh, maybe you can see that. I'm not sure. But anyway, whoever you are, well done. Um, and we'll give you a credit next season. <laughs> you don't win anything apart from the... The pride. The pride and the respect of However, the real contest uh, is between my team, the Manny Road Aces, and your team, the Wagyu Wanderers. We finished next to each other Did in we? the table, separated by 38 points in your favour. Come on. You finished 28. Small I finished victories, but a victory nonetheless. 29th. And a big well done to Camilla Dragons, finished uh, uh, 62nd in our league uh, with no points. Well, good. And no, no stage of the season they actually allocate any players to their team, mm. but they're registered for the league. So that means Aussies abroad at 61 actually finished bottom. Uh, right, so that's the um, fantasy football out of the way. This is the best bit of the season for some. It's time to replay mm. our pre-season predictions Jesus. from August 2014. How did we think the Football League would go this season? We're going to begin in League 2. We had to give four teams to be promoted and two teams to be relegated. You ready? Yep. Here we go. My four to go up. Uh, Shrewsbury, um, they're always strong, um, I've found, in League uh, League Two level, traditionally. They've got a new manager who's got a pedigree of promotion. I just fancy them to do well this year. Uh, Portsmouth, I've gone for. They seem to be on an upward momentum now. The fans want Andy Orford in charge. He's in charge. I think they're going to have a much better season. So I'm going to go for Portsmouth. Slight outsiders, but I'm going to go for Burton. Um, if they can combine the form of the last two seasons, the attacking mentality they had two years ago and the defensive solidity of last season into one year, they could do it. And of course, I've got to go for my own team I've got to go for Berry to go up as well I just think we're going to have a really good season I think we've got a good manager we've got an excellent squad for this division if you saw our lineup from the friendly on Saturday against Rochdale it looks very very strong and I fancy us to go up automatically this season famous last words David Cameron Walker OK um, much the same really oh, right. <laughs> the exact same four yeah brilliant OK yeah. well we've saved ourselves a load of time then um, two teams to go down two teams to go down well Exeter as we've mentioned yeah um, 
I think they will go down and they obviously need to get their situation with the, with the finances sorted out sooner rather than later. I've gone for Exeter as well. Who's your second team? My second team, as I mentioned, this was difficult. Mm. This was like just, you know, just shutting your eyes and sticking a pin in the league table, really. But the one I went for in the end was Mansfield. I was thinking about them. I, I've been boring. I've gone for Morecambe. Here's a stat. They finished their first three seasons in the Football League in the top half of League Two. In the last uh, four years, they've failed to finish any higher than 15th. I went for Morecambe, the team that got us promoted in the end. I said, we're going to go down. How can I possibly ever repay Jim Bentley and his side? We always have a Portsmouth, don't we? We, do, we do. Uh, Exeter, by the way, uh, just, just finished 10th. Yep. Yeah. So they're going to be the bottom two. Mansfield, Mid-table 21st. Well. So they a bit lower down. Yeah, you weren't you work too far. So I make the score three all. Three all mm, after that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, there's three. Three, both of us getting three of the, the four, four promoted teams. Isn't bad at all, is it? Um, and uh, happened too many times. <laughs> and now to the top scorer and one to watch. Okay, here we go. God's sake, this is going to be terrible. Um, right, top scorer then. Who have you gone for? I've gone, I've gone for Ryan Lowe. Of course I've gone for Ryan Lowe. <laughs> I did have Craig Westcar. Uh, and I also had James Collins of yeah. Shrewsbury but I've bottled those two and I thought well I'm going to try and go for something a little bit different um, hopefully it won't be as disastrous as last year's Rennie Howe <laughs> um, but I've gone for Calvin Zola uh, okay. who's signed for Stevenage and finally I, I finally we're going for one to watch um, so I'm going for a player who played a big part in helping Cambridge get promoted last season uh, Ryan Donaldson the one I'll pick for this bit uh, I, I would say uh, will be John Joe O'Toole Ludicrous. <laughs> um, Calvin Zola's uh, record this season, oh, by the way. God's sake. Six appearances, no goals. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's I remember like, Hugh Wilson tweeted, tweeted us after, right after that show, after he'd listened, uh, been on the, the pod a few times to talk about crew, and he said, what have you done there? Yeah. Calvin Zola. Well, you, you obviously I am trusting Wikipedia for those stats, but uh, yeah, apparently Calvin Zola's record this season was six appearances oh for Stephen He's just been released by the club yeah. a year later. I mean, that even tops Rennie Howe in terms of how yeah, bad. I'm not really sure how we grade the ones to well, watch, I, I really. Well, had, had a decent season. Did he? Did he? Did he? I don't know. I think he did. Well, Ryan Donaldson they... played well against Man United in the Cup. Didn't they do the John Joe O'Toole day? They did. Was that, that Northampton, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but that yeah. does no guarantee he actually was any good. I don't know. Well, I, I don't... think if you have your club's doing a day in your honour where everyone wears wigs, I think that can't... What, are you, you know. giving yourself a point for that then? Is that At least half working? a point. Right, okay. Better than Ryan Donaldson. Right, I had a great game against Manchester United. Man <laughs> of the match in the FA Cup. I'm having half a point for that as well. All right. Right, three and a half each then. Right, on to League One. Who were our tips to be promoted from League One this season? The three teams going up from League One, I can't see past. Leighton Orient, Preston and Bristol City. All three teams have uh, had, you know, certainly Orient and Preston, really good seasons last year. Bristol City, an improving season towards the end and they've, they've all added to their squads well, so I think they'll be too strong. OK, I am going for Preston, uh, Sheffield United and Barnsley. Uh, I'm going to throw Barnsley into the mix there. A little bit of a... Uh, a Yorkshire double and Carl asked me to pass on his predictions Preston, Sheffield United and Peterborough so we're all sort of singing from the same hymn, uh, hymn sheet there uh, so we also need uh, four teams to be relegated to the bottom tier uh, DC Crew Crew uh, Yep I think they're going to go yeah. this time Colchester Colchester Rochdale you Yes can't, You can't get rid of we'll Scott, go, You can't get rid of Scott Hogan and replace him with Calvin Andrews <laughs> as we discussed earlier on and hope to have any sort of success uh, and fourth one I don't know if this might be a surprise but I think after a couple of years of punching well above their weight I think Walsall might slip I'm with you I had Crew and Colchester obviously contractually I had to go for Rochdale but I agree losing Scott Hogan will be a big blow to them no matter what their fans try and say uh, and for the fourth team I am going to go for Scunthorpe 
a mixed bag, to say the least. I mean, I've got some, there's some good ones here. We've picked a few promoted teams. Uh, Preston and Bristol City. I have them, both did, them, yeah. Did well. Um, Barnsley, for me, not, no. not so good. Uh, finished in 11th. Rochdale can't have any chance of success with... Uh, Replaces Scott Hogan with Calvin Andrew. Uh, they finished eighth, mate. Six well, points outside the playoffs well after yeah. promotion. Um, and that's me underestimating every other player in their squad. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, Crew and uh, Colchester finished 19th and 20th. Well, I mean, they were down there, weren't yeah, they? So very, they weren't very, far off. Very, yeah. very close. Leighton Orient, mate, that was the big mm. one, though. You well, said, I mean, come on. Leighton Orient owe me something there, big time. So I mean, they were going to be promoted. They finished 23rd. It's a disgrace. It was a very it was a very reasonable prediction to make. Classic Walker prediction. Okay, how about the top scorers and our ones to watch then? I'm going to go with Sam Winnell to continue his goal-scoring form from last season, moving up to Barnsley, uh, and I think he'll have a good season. Okay, top scorer, I have got Joe Garner. Uh, from Preston, because I think they're going to be champions this season. Uh, so I'm going to go with Score of good goals, <laughs> not always a score of loads of goals. Time will be the judge, won't it? The next nine months will tell us. My one to watch, actually, you've kind of stole my thunder there by putting him as top scorer, so it's not really much of one to watch. But I was going to say, uh, League Two's top scorer from last season, Sam Winnell, who's gone to Barnsley. So he was my one to watch. My Off, one you to got? watch. I did mention him earlier on. Uh, I think Zeli Ishmael, mm. uh, Notts County now, had a spell at Burton last year on loan. Ah. He's a scorer of great goals, not many goals. The words of David Cameron Walker about this season's League One top scorer, <laughs> Joe Garner, with 26 goals. Result for Crossley. OK, well done. Um, not Sam so Win- good for me, that Sam one. Winnell, 12 goals this season, so a bit off the pace. Mm. Um, I mean, well, I mean, yeah. We both sung his praises. I suppose you bit. could have him a point for his one, having him as a one to watch, though, I suppose, with 12 goals. We are five and a half points each, okay. neck and neck. Well, what, yeah, well, ones to watch. Okay, am well, I mean, if he's okay, got 12 case, goals, I think right, that's all right, isn't it? Right, well, Double figures for a strike. very generous of you. So, uh, Crossley on six and a half, Walker on five and a half. I don't get anything with Zelly Ismail, do I? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> they, got, they got relegated in County. Okay, right, League... Uh, sorry, no, uh, we've done League 2, League 1. The championship. championship. This is it. Here we go. These are our predictions to get promoted and relegated from the Championship this season. So, uh, my three to go up. I've got Derby, uh, because I thought they were excellent last season, and I think they'll build on that, and I think they will uh, clinch one of those automatic promotion uh, places. I've got Wigan to go up. I thought they uh, they sort of petered out slightly towards the end last year, uh, but I really do like Uwe Rosler as a manager. And then for my third one, I've got three teams listed here, but I am going to go for Norwich City out of the three and the other two out of interest were Blackburn and Cardiff but I'm going to go for Norwich because uh, you've persuaded me by uh, reading out that massive uh, squad earlier on what about your three well I'm going to go Norwich going to back Neil Adams to get the best out of that talented group of players I'm going to go Wigan I've got a lot of time for Uwe Rosler and then at the third one I nearly had a late change of heart I'm going to stick with it I'm going to go for Blackburn and to go down I'm still unsure one of these relegation places actually I think I'll have to go for Birmingham so I'm going to go for Blackpool um, Birmingham and because I mean this probably won't happen but just because something's going to happen to this club this season I'm going to go for Leeds uh, I'm going to go for Blackpool I'm going to go for Sheffield Wednesday maybe they could swap places with their divisional uh, with their yeah. with their city rivals and my third one I always put a, a slightly spurious mm. left field relegation choice in they don't know famed for it over the last few years so maybe this, <laughs> is, this is this is where the, Crystal the, the fans of the, of the club I'm about to name next can, can sit back and relax lump on and, guys and stand by get, your accumulator get ready for a brilliant season because I'm tipping Brighton to be relegated 
I wasn't far off of Brighton. You weren't at all. Until they um, changed manager. Uh, we both were quite far off it. by saying Wigan were going to be in the Premier mm. League next season when yeah. they're actually well, going to be in League One. Don't worry about that. Um, I think another another round to me there. Uh, eight and a half points to... Wow, so what if, I got Norwich. Is that all yeah, I got? I got and Norwich. Uh, you got Norwich. And, then and Blackpool. I, and then I got... Uh, yeah, and I got Blackpool as well. I know, I'm going to admit it. Did you say Norwich? I said Norwich. Oh, I haven't noted that down rightly then. I said okay. Norwich. Well, what was Although the... I did say I backed Neil Adams to get the best out of this <laughs> squad of players. Okay. Little did I know. Predictably, I've lost track of the scores there. <laughs> come on, come I on. I think that was two all in that section. So yeah, both got two, yeah. Eight and a half to seven and a half. Going into the championship top oh scorer. God. And the championship this is not what I wanted to be relying on. to watch. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to go for Lewis Graben. I think he's going to have a very good season this year at Carrow Road. I was going to go for him or... His teammate Gary Hooper. Okay. So if he can get himself in good shape and start the season in, in, you know, hitting the ground running, I think he could have fun in this. Can I say that I always go for Jordan Rhodes every single year? This is going to be the bloody year he gets top score, isn't it? No, I've I've said Lewis Graben. And one to watch. I'm going to go for uh, a man who's played for um, a rival of my team for the past few years, but I've always been impressed by, and he's made the jump up to the championship. I'm going to go for Scott Hogan. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I think I think he's he's going to have a good season. See, my one to watch here. I've just I kind of talked about them already. I've just got Huddersfield. <laughs> what the whole the whole lot of them? <laughs> the whole, the whole one team. to watch, not eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Huddersfield, <laughs> you're one to watch this season. They sat their manager after the first game. They finished 16. <laughs> oh, uh, you don't need God. to watch them that closely. No. They finished 16th. And Scott Hogan, Scott by Hogan. the way, barely, one, barely played. One appearance yeah. for Brentford this uh, season. God. <laughs> Gary, well, Gary Hooper and Lewis Graben scored a fair amount of goals, but if you put them together, they would have been top scorer. Yeah. Um, Half a point each? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so after all that, uh, the final scores on the doors, George Doors, eight and a half to me and seven and a half to you. Uh, so it's a victory for me, just. Yeah. Well, I don't think either of hey, ourselves there covered some, ourselves in glory there. You win some, you lose some. Importantly, the very important thing is that I actually did win some cold hard cash over the weekend. And so did Chris Crowe. Thanks to by, Preston and Norwich going up. By taking our tips. So Chris, yeah. Chris took our, our selected tips from amongst those. And, uh, and he was successful, which is what you need to do in the future. Um, that pretty much wraps it up, I think, Another for this season. season. In the can. Um, before we go, um, over the summer, this offer is still available to you. We've teamed up with audible.co.uk uh, to offer you a free audiobook of your choice. Going on your holidays. You want Absolutely. an audiobook? Uh, you just got to register for a one-month free trial and claim your free audiobook. You've got 150,000 to choose from. Uh, the free trial is 30 days long. You can choose a free audiobook, which is yours to keep, whether or not you decide to cancel in the trial period. What was that thing you said last time? about? You can re-sign up for one if you I'm about to it. say it now. If you yeah. trial the service over a year ago, then thanks to the good people at Audible, uh, you can get your hands on another audiobook for free. Just go, this is the all-important URL, to audible.co.uk slash going up. Now, if you discover the podcast over the summer, which is what a lot of people tend to do when they're having a little... Uh, sort of look through iTunes and stuff and you just listen to this a few months later if you want to follow us on Twitter it's at Wagyu Podcast that's W-A-G-U Podcast and the Facebook page is the same uh, Wagyu Podcast Facebook.com slash Wagyu Podcast and the Instagram and the website is wearegoingup.co.uk the whole archive is on there all the previous shows four years worth of shows uh, interviews you know what I'd like specials all sorts people who are going on holiday this summer mm. could they if any of you do this, send us Here a photo go. or like tag us as a photo on Instagram whilst you're listening to either the podcast or your free audiobook on holiday. I like that idea. We'll regram it. <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know. Thing it should be a yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, do that over the summer. Thanks for listening. It's the end of our fourth season doing it. 
just the two of us really this mm. season which has been a bit different but I hope you've enjoyed it still thanks yeah. to all the guests we've had on not just today we've had sort of loads of guests today but uh, throughout the whole season of players, course. managers, journalists the local journos around the country and you the fans uh, that we are going up listeners thanks for listening that is it thanks for putting up with us week after week and coming be, back there will be something over the summer yeah and then we'll, well, some things we've got a, we've you know we've got a few things up our sleeve yes uh, hopefully anyway and then we will return in some form or other uh, next season I imagine mm. that tends to be what happens uh, with us so uh, have a great summer everyone enjoy the, the break from football not that there is much of one it'll be pre-season <laughs> before you know it and we will speak to you in July or well no we'll be speaking to you before then won't we sorry I'm getting carried away we'll speak to you over the summer it's the worst goodbye of all time <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there Thanks have a for nice listening. time is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. (laughs) 